Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. All right, let's get this party started. Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, live on your national airwaves for the hour. My man, Leger Doosable, all set to join the show about 30 minutes in. He is now an Emmy winner. We're going to talk all things Jets, Bills, Giants with the former 10-year NFL D-lineman and, of course, co-host of I Am Athlete Tonight over at SiriusXM. We're going to preview the ALCS, Yankees-Astros, gearing up right now, just about a half hour from game one of that series. I'm going to lead you into it, but let's start with the state of New York football. And I'm not talking New York City football. I'm not just talking Jets, Giants. I'm including the Bills Mafia, my guys up there in Buffalo, right where I went to school, the people I know, the people I love, the best fan base in the NFL. And I'm a Giants fan. You all know that. If you listen to the show, you know I love my Giants. We're going to talk about my Giants. The best fan base in the NFL lies up north in western New York. And we're going to start right there because Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes put on a show for us last Sunday. It should have been Sunday Night Football. Still baffles me as to why the game was not flexed into Sunday night. But they got the 425 Eastern slot on CBS. And that was the AFC Championship preview, right? Not going to mince any words here. Not going to waste my time or yours. That was the AFC championship game preview. The Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs are the two best teams in the National Football League. Should be the Super Bowl. Last year's game between them should have been the Super Bowl. Love the run that Joe Cool and the Bengals went on. Love the Rams winning it at SoFi at their home stadium. That divisional round game in Buffalo that went to overtime between Kansas City and the Bills That should have been the Super Bowl. I said it eight months ago. I'll say it again now. They're the two best teams in football. I I believe that they were last year. I believe that they are this year. And I can't wait. I'm already, it's week seven. I'm already dying to see these two squads go at it again. This time in Western New York, the old Ralph Wilson Stadium, whatever they call it now, New Era Field or whatever. I can't wait for the rematch in late January between the two best quarterbacks of this generation. I mean, think about how rare it is to say that the toughest guy on a football field at any given time, any given day, is a quarterback, right? That, that is just no disrespect to quarterbacks. They're usually the most talented guy, sometimes the smartest guy on the field. But for the toughest guy on the field of any 22 given guys out there to be a quarterback, that's just something that doesn't happen too often. And that is exactly what you have in Josh Allen. Going into Arrowhead, one of the toughest stadiums to play in in the National Football League as a visiting team or a visiting player, especially a visiting quarterback. I mean, good luck calling the signals, calling the shots out there when you've got, what, 80, 90,000 screaming Kansas City Chiefs fans in your ear. It is one of the toughest places to play in sports, folks. And Josh Allen, for a second straight year in the regular season, has gone in there and showed up and showed out. I mean, he is just such a leader. And, you know, I said last week, and, and I still stand by this. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football, right? And, and I've said, you know, no disrespect to Josh Allen. It's not even a one and two thing. It's a one A, one B thing. Mahomes is just my one A. I think there is no one on the planet as talented as Patrick Mahomes. 
But Josh Allen, slowly, week after week, day after day, is making the case to be the top dog. Now, I always say with Mahomes, I said it last week, I'll say it again. Patrick Mahomes has to show me that he's no longer the best quarterback in football before I take that title away from him, right? It's not so much someone else moving their way up as it is Mahomes actually moving his way down, right? This is a guy who at one point, you know, has been to what? He's been to four straight uh, AFC championship games. He was in back-to-back Super Bowls. He's hosted four straight AFC championship games. I mean, Patrick Mahomes really, ever since he got the starting job, the AFC championship has been at Arrowhead every year. Don't forget his rookie year, he didn't play. He just played that final 16th game of the season when Alex Smith was getting a week off to rest. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, come on, Allen hasn't been to a Super Bowl yet. So I can't say that he's the best quarterback in football until he beats Mahomes when it matters most. Not that this game didn't matter. This game probably is what locks up the one seed for Buffalo. He's got to beat him again. He's got to beat him in the playoffs for me to say, all right, maybe it's time to look at Josh Allen as the best current quarterback in the National Football League. But man, oh man, he makes that argument tougher and tougher every single week. Didn't make a mistake in that game. I mean, you know, you look at Mahomes and yeah, he had, you know, marginally more yards than Allen. They, you know, both threw for numerous touchdowns, but Mahomes made a couple mistakes. And it's exactly why I picked Buffalo to win this game to cover the two and a half, cha-ching, which they did. And why I think Buffalo is the best team in football, bar none, it's because that Bills defense put a lot of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And people want to say, oh, the Chiefs O-line isn't great. The Chiefs O-line last year was one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. Don't tell me that they don't have a good O-line. The Bills just have a damn good defense and they're missing half their secondary. That D-line, that rotation, they've got six, seven guys. They can run fresh legs out there on the O-line at any point in the game. It's what makes them so scary. I compared them a week ago to the likes of the Super Bowl winning Giants, the Super Bowl winning Eagles, right? D-lines that didn't just have talent, but D-lines that had depth, D-lines that had speed, D-lines that had versatility. That's what the Bills defensive line has, and they put a ton of pressure on Mahomes in this one. That's secondary. I mean, how about Jordan Poyer? Can we talk about, can we appreciate Jordan Poyer really quickly? The guy has rib damage and couldn't fly to Kansas City for the game. So what did he do? Did he take the week off? No. No, he got in a car and he drove 15 hours from Buffalo to Kansas City, Missouri, and he played in the game and he had a great game. You know, when Tredavious White comes back from his injury and returns to that Buffalo secondary, he might be the most talented player in that Buffalo secondary, Jordan Poyer is the heart and soul of this defense. And it's not a knock on Poyer at all to say he's not the most talented player in the Buffalo secondary or in the Buffalo defense, right? Trey White, top five corner, Von Miller, future Hall of Famer, Jordan Poyer, and then, you know, Micah Hyde, it's the best safety duo in football. But Jordan Poyer, you could argue, is the third or fourth most talented player on Buffalo's defense. I'll put him third behind Von Miller and Trey White. He's the heart and soul of that Buffalo defense. He is the toughest guy on that defense. He's the swaggiest mother you know what on that defense. Jordan Poyer is the heart and soul of that Buffalo defense. I don't know if there's a guy I'd rather go to war with in the National Football League more than Jordan Poyer. He has been sensational this year when he's had to play in that defensive backfield without an all-pro cornerback, without his fellow Pro Bowl safety, when he's been a leader back there dealing with, quite literally at some point, Three rookies surrounding him in the secondary. Jordan Poyer has been a model of consistency for the Bills. You saw how big of a loss not having him healthy for that Miami game was to Buffalo. Man, oh man, when Jordan Poyer is back there, 
anything, any form of disruption is possible with that Buffalo defense. They are the best team in football, bar none, but they're not the only team, the only New York team that's playing great football. How about the Jets? Four and two. They've won three in a row. They've won all three of their road games. All of them as underdogs. The New York Jets. I mean, my man Cordell Stewart said it best, my co-host of Believe Me, of course, our national TV show, Me, Cordell, Brandon Lang on Stadium, airs every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, our football betting show. Cordell said it best when Brandon and I were all over the Packers last week. Cordell said, man, these Jets are playing inspired football. And I can't wait to talk about it in a few minutes with my man, Leger Doosable, but the Jets are playing inspired football. You know, Zach Wilson isn't all that. Obviously missed some games early in the year, even against Green Bay. What did he have? 10 completions for 120 yards, but they're running the ball. Their offensive line is playing tough. Elijah Vera Tucker's making a case to be one of the best O-linemen in football. Their defense, I mean, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, name, name two cornerbacks who are playing better right now for the same team in the National Football League. I don't know if you can. The Jets are playing inspired football. It goes back to their coach, Robert Sala, in year two, is doing an incredible job with that team. And how about Brian Dable in year one for my Giants? You talk about playing inspired football. The Giants are five and one. Three of their wins, they have trailed by double digits in the fourth quarter. This team has no quit in them. This team has all the fight in the world in them. They had to cut James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, two instrumental pieces of their defense just before the season started. And that defense has played incredibly. Dayball's maximizing what he's getting out of Daniel Jones. Saquon Barkley looks like the Saquon we saw and we loved at Penn State. The Giants are legit, all right? They've beaten Green Bay now. They've beaten Baltimore. They've beaten Tennessee now on the road. The Giants are legit. The Jets are legit. And the Buffalo Bills, well, they're going to win Super Bowl 56. Football in New York right now is in a damn good place, and I couldn't love it anymore. When we come back, we're going to talk a little baseball. The ALCS first pitch is about to happen. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're dialed in to Serralo Sports Talk. Back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, and we are just moments away from first pitch of the ALCS. Quick turnaround, the Yankees clinched their ALDS win in the full five games against Cleveland just yesterday, and now headed to H-Town. Justin Verlander, undoubtedly, indisputably, going to be this year's American League Cy Young winner, his first year back from Tommy John surgery how about an 18-4 and four record and a 175 ERA? You can't make it up. Justin Verlander has had a sensational season, and he's coming off his worst start of the year, a start in which he couldn't go five innings against the Seattle Mariners in game one of the ALDS. Gave up six earned runs to those fighting, what, what does Dallas Braden call him, the, uh, the surging seaman over in Seattle? Justin Verlander got rocked. He got shelled, and people are now, coming out with the narrative. They're pushing the narrative that's already existed to an extent that Justin Verlander is not a postseason performer. Well, first off, here's what I'll say about that narrative in regards to game one of the ALDS. Justin Verlander actually in the divisional series is one of the best we'd ever seen. He's undefeated in the divisional series. He's either 5-0 or 6-0 with a career prior to that Mariners start, a career two and a half ERA in the divisional series of the American League playoffs. So that narrative wasn't really accurate, right? And he's been pretty good in the championship series too, where Justin Verlander's actually stunk, where he's failed to show up throughout his career, is in the World Series. I believe he's winless 
in the World Series in his career. Played with a couple with Detroit. Played with a couple now with Houston. Only has one ring to show for the, I believe, four World Series that he's been to. Or maybe five World Series he's been to, excuse me. Right? So that's where he's failed to show up historically. The Mariners start, I think it's an outlier. And I think Justin Verlander in a few minutes is going to right the ship. Not only does he have a very favorable matchup in Jamison Tyone, who was supposed to be the Yankees game five starter before that game got rained out a couple days ago, the second rain out of that series, which is why they're doing something unprecedented and they're playing back-to-back games. They don't have an off day between clinching the ALDS and starting the ALCS. Verlander has a huge matchup or, or a huge advantage, excuse me, right there in that matchup. I mean, you look at Jamison Tyone and this is a guy who finished the year. And when I say finished, I mean more than the second half of the year with a four and a half ERA. I know when you look at his record, right? What was he, 15 and four or 14 and five, right? That all looks great. But this is a guy who got shelled pretty much from June on, had a tremendous April and May, and then came back down to earth. But the Yankees, with their incredible explosive offense, just provided him a ton of run support. Well, they're going up against a future Hall of Famer in ace, this year's Cy Young winner, where I don't think they should expect to put a six spot up on him the same way Seattle just did in his last start. And Jamison Tyone, if if this guy's out there, you know, more than one time through the lineup, the Astros are going to get to him. You know, Jose Altuve is what, 0 for 17 this postseason? Altuve is going to get his first hit today. Mark that down right now. Jordan Alvarez, couple huge clutch mammoth late game home runs against Seattle games one and games two of the ALDS. I mean, if there's anyone who's going to take, take Tyone deep today, it's Jordan Alvarez. And he's got the protection in the lineup afforded to him by Alex Bregman. You've got Jeremy Pena, the young shortstop. First full season, 20 home runs, including the game winner in the 18th inning in Seattle, game three on Saturday. This Astros lineup does not let up on you. I mean, you look at some of the best lineups in baseball this year, and it's ironic, most of them are home right now, right? The Dodgers, the Braves, lineups that don't have a weak spot, that don't let up on you. I mean, what's what's the weak spot in the Astros lineup? When you get down to nine, and, and you know, presuming that Martin Maldonado is their starting catcher, Obviously, he's a defensive wizard. He's probably their weak spot. And even he had a couple big hits in that Seattle series. The Astros, I mean, one to eight, really have as good a lineup as anyone out there. I think there are way more weaknesses in a Yankees lineup that batted a collective 182 in the ALDS. The Yankees have the long ball. We all know that. I think Justin Verlander, with the career he's had, with the season he's had, I mean, he's 39 years old, the experience under his belt, I think he's going to keep the Yankees in the park. And if you do that, you beat the Yankees. It's that simple, right? This is a team that is, what, 41 and 42 since late June? 41 and 42 since late June. And a team that just never showed up against the Houston Astros in their regular season matchups. Believe they got swept in Houston, split a four-game set, two wins apiece in the Bronx. And in that series, the Yankees never led. Both wins were walk-off wins against Houston. One in, I believe, the bottom of the ninth. One in extra innings in that four-game set in the Bronx in June. The Yankees never had a lead on the Astros. I think Justin Verlander is the perfect guy. When you talk about skill set, talent, and the ability to pitch, right? A lot of throwers in the MLB nowadays. A lot of guys who can run out there and pump 98 to 100 
but guys who can't pitch. Justin Verlander has made a career knowing how to pitch. He's made a career throwing 93-94 in the first four innings and saving a little something in the tank, hitting 97-98 in the seventh and eighth innings. That's what he's done throughout almost his entire tenure as a Houston Astro. It's how he's been able to pitch at a Hall of Fame caliber level still at 39 years old. A guy who debuted, what, 17 years ago, right? 05, 06 for the Detroit Tigers. That's when he came up and he's still pitching better than ever. I mean, this was, you know, the strikeout numbers weren't there. This is a guy who struck out 300 in a year before, but 18 and four with a 175. Justin Verlander at 39 years old after Tommy John surgery just gave us the best season of his career. I would say better than even his MVP winning season of 2012 with Detroit. I mean, Justin Verlander should be considered, in my opinion, for the MVP award this year. But he won't be, of course, because you have Shohei Otani doing things Babe Ruth could only dream of, and you have Aaron Judge setting the American League single-season home run record. And for the record, I've said it before, I'll say it again, because he set that AL home run record and got to 62, Judge is my MVP. So you've got the Cy Young versus the MVP and advantage Cy Young in this matchup. Because I mentioned the talent, I mentioned the skill set, but it's that ability to pitch right? It's the savviness. It's the smarts that are what I think will make Justin Verlander very successful today. And if we see him again in game five throughout this series, Justin Verlander isn't going to challenge Judge with 95 up in the zone, right? Judge can hit the high ball. He can hit the up and away ball and take you oppo, whether it's at Yankee Stadium in that Little League right field short porch or it's at Minute Maid. Verlander knows the way to get to judge. It's sliders, it's curveballs, it's change-ups, right? Not too many right-handers in the big leagues will challenge a guy like Judge with a changeup. I mean, it's, you know, if you're a righty, you don't throw change-ups to righties. It's, it's the unwritten rule. Few guys can, and few guys can do so successfully. We saw in that first Subway series in Queens between the Mets and the Yankees, Max Scherzer was able to throw his change-up to judge and to do it successfully. Justin Verlander is in that same category. Justin Verlander is one of the exceptions to the rule. The guy who can throw his changeup to judge and judge as well as he hit fastballs this year, as surprisingly well as he hit breaking balls this year, judge had a horrific OPS against off-speed pitches, being changeups, being splitters. I think Justin Verlander is going to have success against Judge, and that is really the way to set the tone. The Yankees are hitting Judge either leadoff or second in their lineup. That's what they've been doing lately in September, all postseason so far. You get past big bad Aaron Judge, and then you're cruising, right? I mean, Stanton's got pop. Rizzo's a professional hitter. Guy's been doing it over a decade. Verlander can get to those guys, right? Oswaldo Cabrera is not going to do anything against Justin Verlander. I mean, IKF, you know, Isaiah Kiner uh, Falefa is not going to do anything against Verlander. Trevino, the Yankees just don't have as complete and deep a lineup as the Astros. They are all or nothing. It's why, like I said, they batted a buck 82 in the ALDS against Cleveland. So if you want, be my guest, overanalyze Justin Verlander's one awful poor start against Seattle last round. Go for it. Have your way with it. I'm telling you right now. This is a guy who only had three starts after his brief IL stint in late August, early September to get ready for the postseason. And in his third and final start of the regular season, he no-hit a Phillies lineup that is currently in the NLCS. They were the sixth seed in the National League. They're currently in the NLCS. He no-hit him through five innings, had just one walk, and struck out 10 Phillies hitters 
in five innings, right? You look at that Phillies lineup. I talk about depth. Schwarber. Harper, who's in, in full gear right now. Uh, Reese Hoskins, who had a hell of an NLDS against the Atlanta Braves. Nick Castellanos, who seems to hit a home run anytime a major bad world event happens. Justin Verlander, no hit them. I know it was just five innings, but dominated them. Ten strikeouts, threw strikes, challenged them, and dominated them. I think that Phillies lineup, just like the Braves lineup, just like the Dodgers lineup, it's a deeper, tougher lineup than that of the Yankees. And I've got all the faith in the world in Justin Verlander. I'm going to say that the Houston Astros win this one in six. And, and honestly, I mean, I could just I could just as easily see Houston winning this one in four, truthfully, based on the regular season where they just absolutely dominated the Yankees in seemingly every matchup. Like I said, the two that they lost at Yankee Stadium, they never actually trailed in until the Yankees walked them both off. Houston could sweep them in this one. But I'm going to say that they... They win it in six, and even though they're, you know, even though the the Phillies have looked really, really damn good against San Diego, I think there's something magical going on in San Diego right now, and I'm going to say that the Houston Astros also in six games win the World Series and take down the Padres next week, and you know, could be wrong, hold me accountable, next Wednesday on the show, we'll know what the World Series matchup is in all likelihood, unless there's a game seven between the Strohs and Yanks. So you can hold me accountable next Wednesday, but I'm going to say Strohs and six over the Yankees, Padres and seven over the Phillies, and then Strohs and six over the San Diego Padres. Folks, it is about time Dusty Baker gets his long-awaited, well-deserved World Series trophy. I'm sorry. You can hate Houston all you want. It's a different team than the cheating teams. Dusty Baker's a different manager. It's a different culture. I'm all over the Houston Astros to get their second World Series in the last five years. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk, and next up, joining the show, he's a friend of the show. He's a former 10-year D-lineman in the National Football League, current co-host of I Am Athlete Tonight, and now you can add an Emmy winner to the resume. It's my man, Leger Doosable. How you doing, man? I'm good, Joe. How you doing, man? It's been a minute. I'm great. Yeah, it has. It's great to have you back on, and look, you know, we've got so much to dive into. Your Jets, my Giants, a lot, a lot of NFL talk. But uh, first off, man, congratulations on that Emmy. It's wild to think of uh, how far you've come. We met each other, what, like five and a half years ago? You were just starting Ooh, in this has business? Has it been that long? I guess it has been that long. I think it I mean, it was uh, yeah. Super Bowl 52, maybe four One and a half. One in Minnesota, right? Yeah, so four yeah. and a half years ago. And uh, to look at where you're at now, man, you were just breaking into the business back then. Now you've got an Emmy attached to your name. How's that feel? It's great. The crazy thing is, Joe, I was actually still playing at that time, right? right. So I really wasn't even full-time in broadcasting. And then everybody knows what happened. COVID hit after the 2019 season. So literally one year out of football, I had all these things set up, you know, for myself to to really dive into all the work I've done, you know, while playing as far as broadcasting. But, you know, people weren't hiring when COVID hit. It was the opposite. They were letting people go. Yeah. So it was literally like starting over from square one, which I know easily because I was undrafted for agent. So, you know, that's that was nothing new to me. Just, you know, hit the ground running, continued to grind away, uh, did radio for two years for UCF, calling the football games there. And last year was literally, literally my first year as a full-time broadcaster. And to win an Emmy in my first year as a full-time broadcaster, I mean, couldn't, couldn't even dream this up. I mean, I know I tweeted out and put on Instagram stories a while ago, you know, I'm going to win an Emmy uh, in the near future. I want to be one of the best to ever do this. 
And sometimes, you know, words have power, right? You got to believe it. And, you know, I went out there and I put the work in and it, it was a blessing, man. And shout out to everybody else that was in the sports analyst category as well, because there were some heavy hitters in there. So really blessed to, to win that uh, in my first year. It's incredible, man. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember that post uh, vividly, actually. How important throughout your whole life has manifestation been? Is this something that you did as a player when you were an athlete? You know, I'm going to be an NFL player one day. I'm yeah. going to have a long NFL career. Is this something that you've always been on or was that kind of new for you? No, I've always done that. I've always had my goals on the back of my uh, master bedroom door and the literally right before, you know, right at the front door. So it's the last thing I see before I walk out the door. I've done it. Uh, all the way going up until like my freshman year in college. So like manifestations has been, has been a big thing, but with manifestation, like the work has to come, like you have mm -hmm. to put the work in as well. So, uh, you know, I want to be the best, but I'm going to prepare to be the best. Right. And that's what I always say. Everybody always talks about how I'm always prepared. Like, that's all I know. Again, you know, coming in as an undrafted free agent into the NFL. I mean, even going back before that, there were people telling me I wouldn't go division one, a in football in college. Right. So my dad always used to tell me, son, how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to achieve it? So I would write that down and I literally put that in my locker. I would put it, you know, in the back of my bedroom door. I'd put it by the front door. So I would see that and that would be motivation for me every single day. So, I mean, like the manifestation thing, like I've been doing that for years. And like I said, it was just a blessing. And again, words have power, man. And, and if you truly want something done and you have dreams out there, aspirations, put the work in. It'll come true. I love it, man. It's it's already paying dividends. And this is still just the beginning for you. Like you said, you've only been doing this full time a little over a year. It's it's really incredible. Hey, let's talk about your Jets. Uh, because when you talk about things that are really incredible, the Jets are four and two, six games into this NFL season. And I was just looking at their schedule before you came on. And it's not crazy the way that they've been <laughs> playing to say that, you know, A, they could be a playoff team and B, that they could even be a 10 win Team, what do you think about how the Jets are playing and what's to come this year for this organization? Yeah, when everybody first saw the schedule, myself included, I was like, well, the NFL is trying to set us up for a fail here because it looked like a gauntlet coming out. I mean, I've never seen a schedule where you play one division the first four weeks of the season. Yeah. And the AFC North at that, right? Everybody knows that division as a team. That's They like physicality. They run the ball. Cold weather teams, you know what you're going to get. And the Jets were able to split that. And, and funny thing is, Joe, when I saw the schedule, you know, a lot of people were, were nervous. They were like, man, we could start off one and four or oh and five. And I'm like, honestly, we could split these four, really. I mean, if you look at the Cincinnati game and Ravens game, I think those were the two games people were like, it's going to be tough, right? And then this is before Zach Wilson even got hurt, right? And those were the two games they dropped, right? They beat the Browns. They also beat the Steelers. So I was like, okay, two and two. This is, you know, this is where I kind of felt like, you know, because of the additions and, you know, the draft picks that they added who uh, were kind of, I want to say ready to play as rookies, but have been major contributors earlier in the season. I was like, this is kind of what I expected. But the last two weeks, man, I mean, going into historic Lambeau, right, that's not an easy place to play. I mean, yeah. I know the Packers are, quote unquote, down this year. Devontae Adams leaves. Uh, continuity on the offense isn't really where it was. Their run game had been kind of special throughout the first five weeks of the season, though. And the Jets defensive line shut that down. But going into that hostile environment, you know, the ghost of, you know, greatness that, you know, is synonymous with Lambeau, you know, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Bart Starr, um, Lombardi himself, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of history that goes with that. And they were able to go in there and get a victory. And for a young team, it's all about confidence, right? When you start stacking W's together, 
you build that confidence up and you have confidence to go out there and do your job because you know the man next to you is going to do the same thing. I think part of it is it's a good balance between veteran guys like Carl Lawson, Sheldon Rankins, Dwayne Brown. There's good balance. Corey Davis, guys that have been to playoff games and played in some some high caliber games. And then you got the young guys who I would say, Joseph, just don't know any better. Right. Sauce Goddard, like he's going to go out there and play, play hard and ball out. That's all they know. Michael Carter, a young guy that came in last year. He's going to go out there and play hard. Brees Hall. He's going to go out there and play hard. Elijah Vera Tucker, because that's all they know. They're young. They just want to go out there and have fun and play hard. And they also want to change the narrative around when it comes to the Jets. They know that they're the pivotal, you know, focal pieces that can change this franchise around. So it's a nice combination that they have as far as some wily vets in there mixed in with some young guys. And then Quentin Williams. I mean, I've been preaching this for the last two years. I just think because he hasn't been on too many primetime games. He had the game of the week last week for Fox. You know, Greg Olson was on the call. I was glad the rest of the nation got to see what I've been seeing for the last year and a half. This guy is dominant. And the Jets are probably going to wish they paid him last year because he's going to be able to give them – they're going to have to give him a blank check, and he's going to be able to put whatever number he wants on it after this season. Yeah, he's definitely going to command top dollar. Wasn't he just uh, named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, right? Of the week, correct. Two sacks last week, a blocked field goal, five tackles, creating havoc, uh, I think three tackle for losses. was creating havoc all day in that game. And that's not a bad Green Bay offensive line he was doing that against. I mean, the guy is just an absolute beast. When you look at at this defensive unit and a guy like you mentioned, Sauce Gardner in the secondary, you know, one of my favorite things is the back and forth between you and fans on Twitter because some people <laughs> come out here and they're talking out of their ass and you're always quick to correct them. And, and I commend you for that because some people just let it slide and, you know, you're uh, going to stand no, by your no, words. You're not going to talk crazy and think I'm not going to re- respond to it. <laughs> so when you got people saying, oh, the Jets made such a big mistake, Thibodeau was the clear pick and they took Gardner – uh, let them have it, Lejay. I'm just going to hand the mic to you on this one. It's not even about letting them have it, right? Because I, this is the thing. I think people are warped in the head thinking I, I want Thibodeau to not have a good career. I don't wish that on any player. I was an undrafted free agent. I want him to go out there and succeed because I know the pressure, what the pressure is playing in a New York market, right? This guy went top five. There's a lot of pressure on him to produce and at an early stage in his career, right? I was happy when he had that sack fumble to end the game last week versus the Baltimore Warriors. I was the first person to tweet it out. I'm happy for him because it seems like, and, and this was my issue with him in college and not him personally, just as far as his skill set on the field, right? I think he wasn't really polished when it came to pass rush, didn't use a lot of pass rush moves. He beat everybody with speed to power and then a, a speed dip, right? You're not going to be able to do that in the NFL because a lot of these offensive tackles, they're athletes, right? They're just as good an athlete as you. I mean, we saw Dwayne Brown, who's I think 37, 38. They pulled him about four or five times in that game on end arounds and uh, tight end screens. And he was out there in, with a DB in space blocking them for 10 to 15 yards. Like, these dudes can move at the offensive tackle position. You talk about Larry Tumsel, Jordan Malata. These guys can move. So you're not going to – and first of all, you're only about 250. You're not going to bull rush those guys, right? It's not going to happen. Those guys are 330 and can move. And you're not just going to beat them around the edge of speed because they're going to just run you by the quarterback. So I was glad that he was able to get, get the second. Honestly, I thought Wink Martindale was the perfect system for him to go into because they're not going to ask him to, you know, win too many times one-on-one pass rush. They're going to tell him to get on the edge because Wink is going to blitz, right? I think the Giants have blitzed more than anybody this year. I think at a rate, pressure rate of 47 or 43% per game. Yeah. So he's going to blitz, play in and play out and play man coverage. So the ball's going to have to come out hot. So Honestly, I think I thought that was the perfect system for, you know, a Kayvon Thibodeau, a guy that can just get on the edge and use his skill set as, as, as far as speed. And we saw it pay dividends at the game versus the Ravens. He came off the edge. They blitzed. 
He was able to get to Lamar Jackson, sack, fumble. They win the game. But Sauce Gardner, and and I'm not even going to lie, Joe, when that pick came in, I was like, it's a good pick, but I was like, I don't know if I would have did that at number four, mm-hmm. right? Because if you look at the history of this defense, this cover three defense that is kind of warped and changed a little bit over the years, especially on third down where you may blitz a little bit more now. Um, the corners have always been like third, fourth, fifth round picks. You know, you go Richard Sherman, Byron Maxwell. You look at that, you go back to San Francisco when Richard Sherman was there. Uh, and uh, Mosley was a, a undrafted free agent on the other side. So like they've always been able to get good players later on in draft. DJ Reed was a guy that was drafted to the 49ers as well in the third round, but then ended up, ended up going to Seattle um, and played in this system his whole career too. He was a third round pick, right? So you usually don't take guys in the system that high in the draft now. Earl Thomas was the outlier at safety, but his skill set was unlike anybody else's when he came out of Texas. So yeah. it's understandable. And Sauce Gardner has that ability too. And I saw why Robert Solid wanted to do that because he wanted to make sure he had two corners that can win on third down. And DJ Reed, not to take anything off of Sauce, he's been playing at a very high level as well. He doesn't get talked about enough because he's not like Sauce, right? He doesn't have the persona. And I think that hurts a lot of DBs, especially in this game. Talk about guys like Xavier Howard, uh, Stefan Gimler. They don't really talk in the media like that. They they just go about their business and do their jobs. In NFL circles, everybody respects their games, but they don't get the the publicity as other corners do. DJ Reed is in that mode as well. He just goes about his business. I think James Bradbury is another guy that goes about his business and does does it the right way. Plays at a high level. Doesn't doesn't have a lot of hoopla. Doesn't really talk to the media like that. But DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner, man. There was a plan. And DJ Reed was a guy circled in free agency and said, I want the Jets to get this guy. Because one, he knows the system. He knows Salah. He was drafted to Salah's team. And he's the ultimate competitor. I, just, I think that's the biggest thing that we've learned, right, on this defense, more specifically the secondary. Those dudes are ultimate competitors in that back end. And that's something that was missing last year. Yeah, definitely. And look, there's no doubt. It's just so much better for the NFL when the two New York teams are playing at a high level. you got the Jets at 4-2, and two, the Giants at 5-1. and one. Both of those teams, I mean, I think six weeks in, it's not crazy to say that they're legitimate playoff contenders. Yeah. But there's only one true New York team, as a lot of Buffalo Bills fans oh, like God. to remind me on a daily basis, right? <laughs> Legit, hilarious. Did we just see the AFC championship preview between the Chiefs and the Bills on Sunday? What were your thoughts on that matchup? And is it going to come down to one of those two teams to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? Well, the thing that people have to understand, it comes down to being a little bit of luck luck too right you got to be healthy right uh honestly i have the chargers winning the afc west right i had them in the beginning of the year winning in afc west if you look at everything they did this offseason right the one thing they really struggled with last year on defense more specifically was stopping the run they signed austin johnson from your giants who was a really good player and sebastian joseph day to really uh you know shore up that run game now they struggled in the beginning of the year stopping the run last couple weeks have done a lot better uh done a better job of stopping the run they go get Khalil Mack, right? Uh, you know, Joey Bosa really hasn't had a guy on the opposite side of him since Melvin Ingram was there as far as a guy that can really get to the quarterback. And Khalil Mack has been worth the price of admission. He has been balling this year. Looks like he's three years younger in that new system. Sometimes a change of scenery is the best thing for any player. Now, Joey Bosa got banged up, had the groin injury, had the groin surgery. Should be back, I think, within a week or two. So I think about the Chargers right now and everybody, you know, even though they're 4-2 and two and tied, atop of the AFC West with the Chiefs, everybody's like, that's fool's goal. And I'm like, it's not fool's goal. They just haven't been healthy. And that's an issue. We saw it with San Francisco, right? They play Atlanta and get mollywhopped. But it's hard when you're missing like seven of your starters to really win in the game. And these ain't just like 
regular starters. This is Bosa. This is Trent Williams. These are Pro Bowl players. I got in an argument with uh, Omar Kelly, who's one of the co-hosts on I Am Athlete Tonight. He's just like, yeah, that's they, they catfishing. I'm like, what do you mean catfishing? Like, dude, they're missing like six Pro Bowlers, the Chargers. Corey Lindsley was out, right? Pipkins, their right tackle, just came back. He was out. The left tackle, Rashawn Slater, who was one of the best offensive tackles in football, he's out. J.C. Jackson was dealing with a foot injury, missed a couple games early in the season. He still hasn't really been integrated in, integrated into this defense. It started slow. They actually benched him at half this last game. Yeah, I think he'll bounce back, though. I think when you miss all the training camp, you're going to start off a little slow. And I think just his feel for the game isn't there right now. He'll bounce back. So you can't have all these injuries. And then I just talked about it earlier. Joey Bosa has been out. Keenan Allen, the pro bowler. You can't have five pro bowlers missing and think you're going to win games, especially when your quarterback has rib cartilage uh, injury, right? Like every time he threw the ball, probably the first two weeks and breathed, it hurt, right? But the last two weeks besides this past game that just happened on uh, Monday night, they were scoring around 40 points a game. Like the offense was back without Keenan Allen. So Keenan Allen is coming back, right? Joey Bosa is coming back. Corey Lindsley is coming back. I just think they got to get healthier. And honestly, I feel like they should have won that game versus the Chiefs earlier this year. Yeah, you know, they everybody saw Gerald, Gerald Everett. Gerald, Gerald Everett had two big catches, was trying to wave to the sideline to come out. They go hurry up. He's out of breath. At that point, Gerald Everett, you still got to fight through it and try to fight your way back to the ball. But he was out of it. Herbert went to him. Jalen Watson jumps in front of it. They get a pick six. But they gave the Kansas City Chiefs everything they were looking for. And they have every time they played them. They got one more game in L.A. We'll see what happens with that game. But I think whoever wins that game wins the division. There you go. There you go, man. Thank you so much for joining the show. Leger Doosable, co-host of I Am Athlete Tonight, and now an Emmy winner. Really appreciate the time, man. Appreciate it, Joe. We'll be back with my final word right here on Sorallo Sports Talk. All right, it's time for my final word here on this episode, episode 84 of Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. What an incredible spot right there, per usual, with my man, Leger Doosable, one of the best minds in football coverage. I mean, 10 years in the NFL as an undrafted free agent. The guy knows the game just as good as anyone. And, you know, I got to say, not a shot at Leger at all, not a shot at D lineman at all, but it is pretty rare. To have a D lineman, especially a guy who spent most of his time in the NFL as an interior D lineman, be so knowledgeable of the game, right? Usually, you know, you see quarterbacks, especially backup quarterbacks go into media because these are the guys that have the clipboards and, you know, study the game more than anyone. But you look at an undrafted D lineman who turned, you know, not being drafted into a 10-year career and is now an Emmy winner, like he said, just barely a full year into his full-time media career. It is incredible. Leger is the best out there. Hey, I promised you at the beginning of the show that I was going to make you some money in this final word, and we've got about 90 seconds left, so let's do just that. The Kansas City Chiefs are headed to San Francisco this Sunday, coming off a loss at home, a heartbreaker to Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, and they're three-point favorites. That's it. Three-point favorites going up against a team that they beat in Super Bowl 54, a team that Patrick Mahomes and company are 2-0 and against since 2018. I think being three-point favorites against Jimmy G right now is flat-out disrespectful. Mahomes has only lost 16 regular season games in his career up until this Sunday at Buffalo. He's 13-3 and straight up the week after those games, just 9-7 and seven against the spread. But when you're dealing with anything less than a field goal, look at the straight-up numbers. 13-3 and three after a loss in the 16 times it's happened. Roll with Mahomes. 
Roll with the Chiefs, minus three in San Fran against a bruised, banged up, and battered 49ers team. And for that early window, because I know you're going to wake up and you're going to want to place a bet right away. You're going to want some immediate money, some immediate gratification. Hit my damn Giants. Five and one straight up. Five and one against the spread. Five and oh as underdogs. And they have the nerve to make the Jacksonville Jaguars, the two and four Jacksonville Jaguars, losers of three straight. The books have the nerve to make them three-point favorites in this one. Enough with the Trevor Lawrence hype. Danny Jones is just as good a game manager as Trevor Lawrence. And oh, by the way, we've got Saquon Barkley. Oh, by the way, we've got Brian Dable and Wink Martindale coaching up the defense. Oh, by the way, that defense has been phenomenal. If they can shut down Lamar, if they can shut down Rodgers, they can shut down Trevor Lawrence. Giants plus three, play of the week. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Thanks, as always, for sticking with me for this one and for the past 84 episodes, guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.